This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Speaking of looking cool, uh, I have a little story to tell you about this, which is a silver dollar. Before we do that, I just want to say we're continuing our Between Two Worlds series this week. Last week, we looked at the near-death experience and how this peak experience can inform the way that we live life. But this week, we're looking at what about the rest of life in between that? How can we, how can every experience be spiritual? So this silver dollar, no, it wasn't my grandfather's, or it doesn't have sentimental value to me. Uh, we actually, somebody handed it out to my daughter at Halloween this year. That's pretty good. I mean, equivalent could buy you a decent amount of candy. But so I was getting ready to come and give New Church Live today. And I guess that I'm a fairly casually dressed guy because my four-year-old daughter, when she saw me putting on this shirt, was like, oh, dad, I'll help you look even fancier. So like, I guess I was looking fancy. And she said, I know. And she ran in and got this and said, I'm going to give you this to help you look even fancier. So here I am, Sid, looking fancy. Thank you for that. Every experience can be spiritual. And if every experience can be spiritual, we've got to look at how to make every experience spiritual. And right away, I feel like, if I were all of you, I would say, oh, this could turn out to be a bunch of fluff unless we define our terms here. Because first of all, spiritual. How many definitions for spiritual are there out there? Everybody's got an idea. Sometimes you can just say, well... It's spiritual when you just, when you love something, or some people define it as it's got to have religious trappings around it. What do we mean by spiritual? I'm not giving it to you now, but I'm promising that I'm going to do a really clear definition of what I'm asserting spiritual is here. But second, this word every, every experience. I mean, how many experiences have we had since we started this. Remember, there was this experience where I started walking on the stage too early. There was the experience um, where we were getting all the equipment to work beforehand. There's a lot of great experiences, right? So I'm not proposing that we develop some kind of high-maintenance, aggressive stance towards life where we're picking apart and trying to get enlightenment out of everything. But I think we can establish broad principles that let the things that happen to us fall in a way that we do we can see as spiritual like that that it's already happening it's just our perspective that we're changing on it and why why is it important to make to every experience spiritual or why is that a challenge really i want the first example i want to give is normalizing audio is anybody i don't know if you guys are familiar with normalizing audio but this is where you have um you record something, say so you're recording your podcast or you're recording your album, and if you're talking into a microphone like I am right now, it can get a lot louder or it can get a lot quieter depending on where my mouth is in relation to it. And universally, when you've got something that's going out to be professionally produced, you do this process called normalization, where it takes, if it's ever too loud in one place or it's ever too quiet in one place, software will smooth that out for you. So even if somebody's whispering, that whisper they make as loud as if someone were yelling, which I'm not going to yell right now. Why do we do that? 
is because it's not pleasant to go through extremes in the same experience. You think about you've got your car radio turned up to the right volume. You don't want to be turning it down, turn it back up, right? So we're trying to eliminate this shocking disparity between how high the highs can be and how low the lows can be because we control that audio output. Another good example of that is the movie genres that we have. Why, if somebody says, what kind of movie was the giant um, rock? So you went and saw a movie called The Giant Rock. What kind of movie was that? Oh, it was an action movie. Oh, it was a romantic comedy. A giant rock is like a ring that somebody gives someone. Why do we divide things up? Well, because there are certain emotions that make for a very difficult to palate combination of, of experiences. If, if you're looking, if you've got your head into the world of romantic comedy to suddenly have some kind of aliens show up and start taking over the planet, you lose it, right? We, we try to say, look, this is the story of life. We're focusing on this experience. But you know what doesn't... So you have in, a, in audio normalization, in movie genres, we are making sure that you, your experience doesn't go outside of certain bounds so that you can digest it, right? But what doesn't have that filter on it? Life right? That life is at this at times excruciating swing and experiences. That you can have things that are just beautiful and fulfilling about life and then things that are just draining and tragic and things that seem mundane and boring in between. How does all this stuff fit together? Who, who's the director of this movie that they would put all those things together? And how can we unify our sight of that. And I would say one of the most difficult things, since we were talking about near-death experiences last time, one of the most difficult things for people who have a near-death experience, and for anybody who didn't watch the last one or hasn't heard near-death experiences, you've probably heard, like, see the light at the end of the tunnel. You probably have a sense of that people have an experience where they feel like they're in the presence of God or an angel or a being of light and they experience this love and clarity like they've never had in life. Everything else almost pales by comparison. You understand life in a new way. You have this amazing peak experience where, where you find out that life is way better than you ever thought it could be and things that you felt like were unsalvageable, we can salvage and live with. Which sounds like if you had one of those, you would be set for life. But actually, you know that the, the post-NDE depression is a real thing. It's actually fairly widespread. I don't, they call it by different names. But people will have these experiences, and then they actually do a lot of struggling after. Because one of the worst things to try to deal with is how do you fluctuate between the experience of like God is here and everything is love and I get that we're part of one human race and one human family. And then somebody cuts you off in traffic and swears at you and drives by. And the jarring difference in that. How are these two things part of the same movie? And I would argue that we all experience this at some level. That this is not just something that if you've had a near-death experience, you deal with. Because you think about spirituality as we understand it, and I still haven't gotten to my succinct definition of spirituality, but 
you think about spirituality as, as we all pursue it, which is, you've all had spiritual experiences, I mean, that we would put under that umbrella, because, sure, we may not have visions, but you've had it. Think about the difference between where you are in your beliefs and assessment of life and the way that that fluctuates. I won't speak for you. Okay, I'll just speak for myself. There are times, and look, I, I talk a lot about spirituality stuff. That is really my job in a lot of ways. So I certainly have times when it's working like I say it works. Where I'm feeling like, look at this. I have these principles about loving what is useful, about um, divine providence. God is taking care of every detail uh, that I, you know, ways to deal with the negative self-talk that comes in. And I just feel like I'm invincible. Just all the stuff that used to get me down. I used to struggle a lot with anxiety and depression and all the stuff we all go through. And it just feels like my spirituality is lifting me up and out of there, and it's great. But there's other times when it's very hard for me not to get frustrated at my dog. It's impossible, because look what he's doing. Or there's other times when I'm, I can't stop getting anxiety about something, or I don't even care about being spiritual. I just want this. I just want nachos or something. So there's a fluctuation there. I would say that Oh, are we not are we not seeing slides right now? That's fine. You don't need them. They're no good. Um, well, I'll just kind of talk you through uh, some of the things. So I would say that everyone deals with the same drop off that the near death experience people deal with. We deal with that because to have to say I've had a near death experience. Why aren't I spiritual now? Because think about that C- coming out of something that amazing and. And real, and then, well, why can't I handle this situation? And why am I kind of forgetting about it? Is the same thing as why are my spiritual principles strong sometimes? And why do I feel like I haven't made any progress other times? And why it's embarrassing. I'm supposed to be better than this by now. That's the same fluctuation because we've gone in and out of what's spiritual. And that's really the same as just to any, like, come on, I'm better than this. I'm, I'm better than this. Why am I doing this? There's a fluctuation. That happens all the time. And understanding that fluctuation is the key to making every experience spiritual. Because it's about understanding, it's like the serenity prayer. Give me the, I don't think I can quote the serenity prayer, but I'll paraphrase it. The paraphrase of the serenity prayer is, hey God, there are some things that I can do, some things I can't, and let me know, give me the wisdom to know which is which. So, yeah, there, there are some things that we are, we may have mismanaged expectations about just what percentage of the time we're realistically going to be spiritual and what percentage of the time life is going to show the true beauty underneath it. As we were talking about last week, when... We were talking about Jesus Christ saying there, the time is coming when I'll tell you plainly about the Father, and that the Father being the divine love, that there are times when life actually is beautiful, and when in the near-death experience, when God is just sitting there and saying, look, I'm so sorry about what you've been going through. I wanted, this is what I've wanted to tell you the whole time. 
but I couldn't. And they just, just like, I'm going to give you everything that will comfort you and, and everything we wish we had day to day here. So there are, there are times when life shows us that, but there are also times when it doesn't. And knowing why it's like that and how to see a little bit of spirituality, even in the things that don't seem to present themselves as compatible with a, with a loving God is really crucial. So there's this, there's this natural fluctuation between we're, we're, we're getting it, everything's rolling, and it's not. And that is so part of the human experience that it's reflected in something that one of the longest stories in the Bible, which is we're talking about the, the children of Israel. So when the children of Israel are going on all their whole journey, isn't it this story of fluctuation? You read about things are going good. We're going to get out of the land of Egypt. Oh, no, Pharaoh's following us. Oh, good, the Red Sea is parted. Oh, no, we're going to die here in the wilderness. Can't we go back to Egypt? Then we have some food there. And there's this falling in and out of belief in God. You see, oh, God did this amazing miracle. No, we're, we don't believe that anymore. We're going to make the golden calf. We got the Ten Commandments and the golden calf. There's this fluctuation throughout, and it can be maddening reading it. Like, don't you guys remember? It was just three chapters ago. But the reason is, why are we reading a story about these, these people anyway? It's because that story is the story of our lives. And the fluctuations they're going through, the times when they can see God in front of them, and the times when the calf, the golden calf, is just too alluring, that's how our life goes. The times when we're confident and God is parting the water and we're moving through, and the times when the chariots are coming up and we just really think this is it. We should have stayed back where we were. So the fluctuation is baked in there. So let's learn about it and learn how it can help us to be a little, like, raise our mean spirituality levels. I'm not saying every moment's going to be great, but the lows may be a little less low. So we're going to dig into that and the definition of spirituality, but let's take a little time to let that sink in. Think in your own life about, have you been, you know, what are your, you know, your peak progress and then your backsliding in spiritual life or is it confusing having this whiplash between really great things and really hard things where is this coming up for you just ponder over it and we'll get that's what people want to see you know people making fools of themselves me of course walking onto the stage twice in a row okay so we're talking about now is the fluctuation. I keep talking about the fluctuation. We know that there's some sort of dividing line between really strange and non-elegant, beautiful parts of life and then the moving, uh, touching, charismatic, this is, you can see God's hand in this. That's a strange fluctuation. And then there's this personal fluctuation in us between when we're living and being the person who we want to be and when we're settling and things are pretty much we're just trying to get through the day. So how do you account for that stuff? So what we're fluctuating between, based on New Church theology, when we fluctuate between really going after what is right and true and living up to our ideals, and then when we're just floundering around, we're fluctuating between thinking spiritually and thinking materialistically. 
And I'll give you the definition now for what thinking spiritually is. And this is right out of New Church Theology or Swedenborg's writings. So the definition he gives, and this is a straight quote, is thinking spiritually is to think about actual things as they really are. So it's not quite as like woo-woo as you thought it would be, right? To think about actual things as they really are, okay? And then thinking materialistically is to think about things as they appear to be. So we can be in a state when we're thinking spiritually, which is when we're thinking about things, actual things as they really are, or we can be in a state where we're thinking materialistically, which is when we're thinking about things as they appear to be. A real easy example to get you on board with this concept is, has to do with the sun and the earth. So there's a way that things appear with the sun, and there's a way that things really are. This is a classic example where, well, there's actually a lot of layers to it. I mean, you probably thought I was going to say, the sun appears to move around the earth, doesn't it? If we didn't have telescopic knowledge, I don't know, you know, who was it, Galileo that figured that out? If we didn't have that knowledge... You couldn't, from your own experience, deduce what was happening. It just looks like the sun is over there, and it goes down over there. What else? The sun looks like it's little. It looks like it's small. I mean, it might be big, but not big, bigger than the earth. You look, look across the earth, it's huge. The sun is just, just like, it's bright and it's hot, but it's not, it's not bazillions of times bigger than the earth. But the reality is, yeah, the, the spiritual of that, the truth of that, is that we're going around the sun. The sun is way bigger than us, and it only, why does it look smaller? Because it appears that way because it's super far away. Everything physical is completely wrought with appearances. For example, right now, it appears to me like there's a bunch of red dots hovering above the seats, but that's just because these lights, right, are, are boring their way into my eyes. They're not really there. I could go on and on. That's the basic concept. But let's apply it now to something where you really differentiate between spiritual and materialistic. And that something is death. Because you remember last week. i got to stop. This, this service has value on its own. It's not all just built on last week. But I'll, so I'll just say, with what the near-death experience has taught is that, and we know this from people who who go through horrific things, people who are in terrible car accidents or um, you know, outdoor accidents who have medical issues come up that threaten their life. And it's the thing that the people around them are saying, oh, this is so terrible. How could God let this happen to somebody? Because they seem to be suffering so much. Even at times, you know, crying out in agony when things are happening. But you go and talk to the actual person who lived through that experience. And I, I was actually fortunate enough to sit down with a, um, a former EMT who was now a minister. And he was talking about how when you talk to people who go through those experiences, they're always, invariably, the people, like if you break your leg, sure, you feel it. But the people who go through the really, really 
traumatic, life-threatening things, almost all the time they say either, I don't remember it, or they had some kind of -of out-of-body, lovely experience. So if that's what, because what is, what is anything that anyone goes through if it's not the actual lived experience of the person going through it? So if we're talking about death and thinking about death spiritually or materialistically, what does it look like? How does it appear when you look at somebody who's died? Well, it appears like they're suffering leading up to the death. It appears like then who they were, them as a person, is just gone. They're just gone. And then the body decays and dissipates and that's it. Where there was something, there's nothing anymore and it's lonely and sad, right? That's how it appears. That's what the material tells you. But spiritually, how it actually is, because people will report this to you who get close, it's actually the person going through what seems like this terrible thing is in many cases having the most wonderful experience that you can have. So death seems like, is there any more jarring, out-of-place thing in life than death? And it seems like this ruins the movie of life because this being allowed to happen just makes it so you don't want to say that life is good. You don't want to participate anymore. But when you think spiritually about what death is, you see that even though, and it, even though it seems terrible inside it's not terrible and isn't that that just how life is it's not that when the i mean the intersection between the physical and the spiritual it's not that physically you know when somebody's dying they just glow bright and then disappear there is this whole physical side to it that's really harsh but that doesn't mean that the spiritual the consciousness part of it isn't actually glowing and good that there isn't if the movie of life is about love the experience that the person is going through actually does stay in the right genre so that's what it is to think spiritually about something versus thinking materialistically so and you can go out and apply that to so many things but one one example i love is thinking about other people because what's what? How does it seem when you're dealing with other people? It seems like they are less people than than I am. Because a person can just kind of like they can come in, they can walk out. I think about them sometimes. Whereas myself, I'm in here, and I'm always thinking about how I'm feeling and I'm reacting, and everything that happens to me changes the whole narrative of life. But somebody else, they're just off doing something. The appearance is we're the center of the universe. Other people, yeah, they're, they're probably conscious like us, but they're just out there. But we know that that's not true because I'm sitting here saying that about me, that I'm, I'm the center, center of the universe, their center of experience for me. But you're looking at me saying that as just some person outside your experience. That the appearance is that one of us is the focus and the rest of us are peripheral. But the truth is we're all having the human experience. And one of my favorite principles that I learned in college is something that's called the fundamental attribution error. 
And the fundamental attribution error happens so often that we call it fundamental. And it is that with, with, it has to do with when people make mistakes or do things that are improper in some way. With, when somebody else, no, when, when we make, I'll start with us. When we make a mistake, the fundamental attribution error is we ascribe it to external circumstances. Why did you snap like that? Well, I was tired and they shouldn't have done this and I had a bad day, right? External circumstances. Whereas when it's somebody else, well, why did they cut you off in traffic? Because they're a jerk. Because they don't care. Because they're evil. That is that, and we do that unfailingly. You assign motives to them, but uh, there was interference to us. And how is that? Is that spiritual or material? It's material. You're just doing it because you get this kind of knee-jerk reaction because you don't see other people as complex and having other factors. We just don't bother to take the time to know what their factors are. So there's this tendency to think materialistically about other people. And I know we're all trying to think better about people and to be more mature and to be more social in, in, in terms of not being antisocial. We want to be friendly and exercise what's right and true and just in our interactions with people. But it's really hard. And we do fluctuate, again, between being able to do it and not being able to do it. So why? Why are we so inconsistent? Why are the children of Israel going back and forth like this? It's because... New Church Theology teaches that there's actually two parts of us. That we have, an, you could call it an outer self and an inner self. That there are two areas of your consciousness and, your, and they're, at, they're meant to work together, but usually we start out with them being at odds with each other. Because naturally, our inner self thinks spiritually, while the outer self thinks materialistically. And this is necessary to have these parts and have them move, because you've got to be able to navigate life. But you also have to, your inner self is really where God can reach you. And where God is trying to say, look, Here's a better way to be. I'm trying to drop these little insights. And depends on how much the outer self is hogging consciousness, you know, how much we get to hear that inner self. But you all have had the experience of feeling like, wow, I just, I never thought about it that way before. Something new comes into you. Or you feel a surge of something that is good. You approach a situation better than you thought you, thought you would. It's because the inner self can be active there. So when the takeaway, I mean, we could talk about this forever, I feel like. There's so much to unpack in there. To me, this is a huge relief because when I start to get into, wow, look at this. I'm, I'm not living by my principles. This is really difficult. Why, why I, you know, I remember even once looking back and feeling like, yeah, was I better at this spirituality stuff, at this living a better life stuff, seeing things as they really are and acting on it. Was I better at that a few years ago? You know, have I backslid? But to be able to look and say, all right, look, I'm in my 
outer, I'm in my outer self right now. I, and the outer self can't help but think materialistically. And instead of, oh, I've got to try to get this outer self to perform as well as my inner self, just know, okay, well, damage control, I'm not going to let it make me do something I'll regret, but just see, can I get any progress in trying to tame that a little bit? And the other dimension to this for me is circling back to the, ex- the experience of loss and death. You may feel like, look, I'm, I believe in God. I believe in life after death. So I shouldn't be consumed with grief when somebody that I love dies. Because don't I believe that God is taking care of them? And don't I believe that they're in a better place and they're happier now? What's wrong with me? So I think it's really important for us to understand. This is how I, this is what I believe anyway. And what has been true for me is there is a part of you that doesn't matter what your inner self believes. Doesn't matter what your higher principles are. There's a part of you that just sees what's in front of us. And when somebody's dead, to that part of us, they're gone. And even if you have some higher beliefs that, you know, we're going to see them again someday, the shock to the system of this part of our, this, this outer self, which is, I've kind of cast it in a bad light, but you just think about it. It's the thing, it's the part of us that takes what's in front of us. And it, we get to know people through our interaction. Hopefully we move up to where we're thinking more spiritually about each other. But to a certain part of us, and maybe even a childlike part of us, somebody's, somebody seems to be gone and they're gone. And that's the part that's going to be, doesn't matter if you believe God is taking care of them, you're still mad and mad at God for that. That is, that's the other side of this. You can't help but think materialistically sometimes. So to me, a big takeaway from this is to go easy on yourself. Understand that it's a process and the inner self can get ahead of the outer self. But the point is for when we're in our inner self states to turn back and kind of learn how to teach it. We slowly bring the outer self along because there is a great uh, harmony that the two will be getting to. When Actually, that's what the goal of all spiritual life is, in a way, is to get you know, your, your day-to-day stuff and then your higher principles, get them together. Get, get, Swedenborg describes it like a marriage of the two. Get it so that what we really want to believe, which is easy to believe when you're just sitting back, we go in and get to do when we're in the trenches. And that process takes a good long time. And you know the only way that process can happen? Fluctuation. Between, with, with us going from the experience of one to the experience of the other, and both of them side by side in life, so that we can see those two parts of life and really bring heaven and earth. It's our little earth and our little heaven inside of us, and we're trying to bring those two together. So even the fluctuation, even the chaos around the disparity in what happens in life and how we perceive it, that is part of a process. That God is always using everything to bring us somewhere better. So even that can be part of a process. And this is shown in another cool place in Genesis. I'll read for you Genesis 8.3. It says, And the waters receded off the earth. This is the end of uh, the Noah story. Going and coming back, 
and the waters disappeared at the end of 150 days. Why does it bother with that detail? You've got the whole world is flooded, but now it's drying out, right? So if you think about when we start out in our ego-centric state, where all we care about is ourself, suddenly you've got some higher principles, some spiritual pursuit that starts to, you hit, have some wake-up call that starts to drain the water, and you start to see what life is really about and what our impact is and all that. Why does the water come back? and then go, and come back, and then go. Because that's how, that's how we make progress. That's how we, because we're not trying to leave that ego self behind. You can't. What we're trying to do is slowly bring it into this harmonious relationship that it's meant for. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of New Church Theology. This is from Secrets of Heaven 848, where it's talking about, oh yeah, there it is right there. This is talking about this very passage in the Bible we just read, and what's the spiritual message in it. The whole process of rebirth exists in order for us to receive new life. So when our previous way of life breaks down in times of trouble, by the way, you don't let go of things if everything's working well for you, I've found. You have to have, when your life gets shaken up a bit, that's when we really say, oh, do I need to look at something? When our life breaks down in times of trouble, we cannot help faltering between truth and falsity after the trouble has passed. Truth belongs to the new life and falsity to the old. So truth and falsity is another way to say thinking spiritually and thinking materialistically. It's not that falsity doesn't have some kind of basis, but it's just not the full picture. It's just not what's actually going on. It's what seems to be going on. Unless the earlier way of life is destroyed and this uncertainty takes hold, spiritual seed cannot possibly be sown in us, since there is no soil for it. So spiritual seed, that we are going to have this new growth in us. Right? We have these old ways that we looked at life, but there's something new and better that can come to us. And you think about right just now, it's not an idle metaphor, spiritual seed. This is a correspondent. This is actually a picture of what's spiritual in what's physical, Right now, we've just been planting in our yard, trying to plant some plants in our yard and getting them to grow or do something close to that. What do you have to have? Plants need water, right? Great. So the best thing for those plants would be if it rained for 190 days in a row. They would die. They would get too wet and there wouldn't be enough sun, right? Okay, well, the best thing for them would be if it was just hundred and humid and pure sun, no clouds, 24 hours a day, right? They would fry. What do you have to have for seed to grow? There's a fluctuation. It has to go between day and night because plants will do one thing in the day and they'll do the next thing at night. There's this sort of, just like us with the sleeping-waking cycle. You also have to have fluctuations between wet and dry because if it's only dry, you're going you're to get dehydrated. But if it's only wet, you're never going to really get your photosynthesis and the roots are going to rot and you know, depending on what, what plant you are. But this is that process in us, this alternating of today in my head, in my life, it's raining versus today it's sunny. Going back and forth between those can actually be part of this process. It's not really about either of those. Because yeah, we go through hard things. And I'm not saying they're not hard. They're definitely hard. We go through good things and they're nice, but neither of them... They both come and go, but what stays is the, what's growing in us, who we're becoming, because that's something we bring into every 
interaction that we have. That's something that we take into each of those situations. And eventually, as that good spiritual seed grows up, we get to the point where we can have a spiritual outlook no matter what's happening. And I think it grows in increments. It's never going to be that you never, never notice. I think about the world when you're getting closer and closer to the equator and how the seasonal cycle gets less and less intense, right? But it's still even, even pretty far down. You go, go down to Mexico, there's still a seasonal cycle there, but it's getting less and less. It's not like you have in Alaska, right? So we move toward in more and more temperate places, but even in the, on, right on the equator in the tropics, you still got the day and the night. Cycles are just an, an essential part to growth. So it can be hard to do, and I'm not saying that our outer self is going to want to see it like this, but we can know that this fluctuation, the confusingness of life, is actually something that's, that's making it so that stuff can sprout. So maybe a little tool to take away is when stuff is hard, just think about those little seeds growing inside you and the, the garden that's going to be. So with all that said and all that in our hearts, let's take a moment to, uh, I'll say a few words for a prayer and then we can have a, a silent prayer. Thank you, God, for the spiritual side of life. That when we understand and see what's really going on, all our fears can be put down. All our objections and doubts will be answered, satisfied, and the things that we are longing for will be there, not just for us, but for everyone. That the core of life is something that's good. And help us when we are seeing the appearance. Give us some comfort Give us some assurance that this will pass. The night, the winter will pass. And we will have the time when we're seeing things as they are again. So now hear the silent prayers of our hearts. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 